Sid Roth saying, I have a vision. Now is the set time to blow the trumpet in Zion. Shalom, Mishpacha. Shalom, family. Mishpacha is a Hebrew word. It means family, and we're the Mishpacha, the family with the Jewish heart, made up of Jewish and non-Jewish people that are one new man in Messiah Yeshua, Messiah Jesus, getting ready, Mishpacha, to blow the grandest shofar or the grandest trumpet in Zion. We want everyone everywhere to hear the good news. We want everyone everywhere to be red hot for the Messiah. My guest by way of telephone is... Thurman Scrivener, and never, 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 never in his wildest imagination did he foresee what would happen to him on October 13, 2001. That was the date that a, there was a head-on collision. His wife, his daughter, and his granddaughter, and a friend of his granddaughter in a car. His wife dies. His daughter dies. His granddaughter is not given much chance to live. Never, Thurman, never in your wildest imagination did you think you would uh, find out about that, did you? No, sir. Uh, uh, that was that morning when uh, Betty and Amanda and Caitlin and Kelly got up to leave. It was not in my wildest dreams that that was the last time I would see my wife and daughter alive. Tell me the first contact you had to, when you found out there was a problem. Well, I... Left the house that morning about 10, going to Hearst uh, to prepare to teach a healing school. And uh, I had gotten down to the church and got everything set up. And uh, the healing school started at 1. And I had just stood up before the people and began to teach God's Word. When a police officer walked in the back door, and when I saw a police officer in uniform come in, I thought, this is kind of strange. So I went back there, and I said, sir, can I help you? And he said, well, he said, are you Thurman Scrivener? And I said, yes, sir. He said, do you have a wife named Betty? I said, yes, sir. He said, do you have a daughter named Amanda? I said, yes, sir. He said, sir, there's been an accident. I said, are they injured? He said, sir, they're both deceased. I said, how about the two babies? Stop. When he said, that, sir, they are both deceased, do you have any recall? As to what happened beyond saying, what about the babies? It's kind of like a, I guess, just the Holy Spirit had to just take control of me. Said, I don't know how I was able to just stand so firm and so solid. I could never have done this in the flesh. Hmm. But the Lord had something special for me that day. Was that He had started many years before that uh, He'd done so many things that was beyond my wildest dreams. I, I just, uh, I just. I just don't know how I did what I did, uh, other than by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, now, previous to this, God had spoken to you in very sovereign ways, and uh, many people had been healed. I mean, amazing things. I mean, uh, like the time you heard uh, the name Martha three times, yes. uh, and you found out that it was the sister of the pastor who needed a new kidney. Uh, they didn't follow the words of knowledge. Uh, and so she lost her kidney, uh, and uh, then they uh, she got a new one, and the, and the new one didn't take. Uh, and then the church prayed, and what happened to her kidney? Well, what happened? Uh, uh, the, the kidney did take at first, 
and it lasted about three months, and, and then it began to fail. And uh, they had taken it out of her dad and put it in her because her brother, which was a Baptist preacher, wouldn't do what I had told him to do that morning. Uh, and so uh, after losing the kidney and getting the replacement a few months later from her dad, I was in a church service with my wife that night, that Sunday night, and I was just sitting there listening to him preach. And when the service was over, uh, the Holy Spirit just drew me out of the seat where I was and, and just, just, I was just almost pushed to the front. And as I went down to the front, I'm saying, Lord, what am I going down here for? And as I got to the front and I walked up to this young pastor, and he was only in his early 30s, I reached up and put my left hand on his right shoulder. And when I did, the Holy Spirit spoke to me very authoritatively. He said, Son, get up on that podium and call this church to prayer, and I'm going to heal Martha Scott. And so I just turned him loose and just stepped right up on there, and I said, The Lord just spoke to me. He told me to call the church to pray for Martha Scott so he could heal her. And so we began to pray, and after we prayed a few minutes, and then one of the older gentlemen there, about 10 years older than myself, he said, Thurman, the Word of God says to go lay hands on the sick and they'll get well. I said, yes, sir, that's what it says. He said, let's go down to that hospital tonight and lay hands on that girl. I said, okay. And so the pastor said, well, I want to go. One of the men said, well, let's go in my van. So six of us men uh, got in the van of Ed Buchanan, and we drove downtown Dallas. And when we got up into ICU, the lady said, what are you men doing here this late at night? I said, well, we come to see Martha Scott. She said, she's critical. I said, well, we heard that, and we heard y'all couldn't do anything, so we come down here to get her healed in the name of Jesus. She said, well, in that case, I'll let you and one other man go in that room, but that's all. So me and one other man went in the room. I read her, Mark 11, 23 and 24, and then I commanded her sickness to leave upon behalf of that and for her to be healed in the name of Jesus. And we got up and left the room. We were only in there just a couple, two or three minutes, then we went outside, and her dad, which was a Baptist preacher, and her brother, which was a preacher, and then all of us other gentlemen, we met, and we prayed for about a half hour. Then we left there, and on the way home, all we did for an hour ride back from Dallas to Justin was just worship and praise the Lord. And when we got back to the uh, church that night and went home, uh, Monday evening I called Martin, her sister, her brother, I said, Martin, how is Martha? And he said, Thurman, the doctors don't understand. Her count is changing so rapidly. And I said, well, I figured she'd be out of the hospital by now. But anyway, we I went on, didn't say anything until Wednesday. But Wednesday night when I got to church, there sat Martha, and she's never had any problem with that kidney again to this day. Uh, that does not sound like in the realm of possibility when they do a transplant and the kidney fails. Well, it's only God, uh, said that could do those kind of things. You know, He gives us this authority and power in His Word. It's just a shame that I didn't believe Him so many years, and so I didn't ever see Him do anything until I finally began to believe His Word. Okay, uh, the um, the sheriff comes into your uh, where you're teaching a, a school on healing, uh, and uh, says your wife and your daughter are dead. Uh, and the two little girls, one being your granddaughter, uh, you you said, what about the girls? What did he say? He said they've both been care flighted from Stephenville, Texas, to uh, Cook's Medical Center, and they're both in very critical condition. So you get to the hospital. The social worker uh, greets you, and what did she say? 
Well, when I walked in, uh, the social worker, she said, Sir, uh, she was waiting for me. And she said, Sir, I need to tell you what you're going to see when you walk in that room. And I said, Ma'am, I, I know what I'm going to see. I understand there's been a head-on accident with a, my wife's car in a truck at 70 miles an hour. And I told her, I said, I'm an engineer by trade, so I know what happens. And I can really only imagine what my grandbaby looks like. I already understand my wife and daughter are deceased. And they tell me that these little girls are probably not going to live. Uh, but I said, you know, that's not going to be the case because I serve the living God. And his name's Jesus, and he will raise them up from the dead. And she said, sir, that's not possible in this case. I said, ma'am, nothing is impossible with our Jesus if we would only believe him. So I walked into the room. And but, but wait a second. You heard a word in reference to Martha, and you were real strong. Did you hear a word about your granddaughter? No, sir. The Lord did not speak to me. So how could you be so positive? Well, because it's written in the Word. In other words, when any time you hear a, a rhema or an authoritative word from the Lord, what he tells you always is confirmed in the Word. In other words, if he tells you to do something, you know, you, you just, in other words, he's a faith God, and with Martha... He had already trained me over the last many years, uh, at that time, 15 or 20 years. He had already trained me and spoken to me many times. I'd heard his voice. He had showed me things in the Word that just was beyond my imagination, that he really meant what he said in his Word. But he always confirmed that this is what I mean, son, exactly what I've written in this book. I mean it, and I will do what I say I will do. And so by this time, uh, I'm sure the king... Jesus, he doesn't expect me to have to have a Raymond word from him anymore. Yes, but in the hospital, uh, just to kind of streamline, there were two children that were dying. Yes. One not expected to live through the night. And you said, I guarantee those children will live. How did you do that? That's outrageous. What if they died? Well, they couldn't uh, with, with God's word if I didn't doubt. See, I learned this scripture so well in Matthew chapter 14, starting with verse 24, that Jesus, when he was here on the earth as a man, he was walking on the sea as a man. By faith, he was walking on the water. And whenever his disciples saw him walking on the water, they were amazed and they were scared. And, 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 and Jesus said, gentlemen, it's just me. And Peter said, Lord, if that's really you, let me come to you on the water. Well, Jesus said, come. So he spoke a word to Peter. Peter stepped out of the boat and started walking, and he walked on the water until the enemy, of course, Satan, showed up and stirred up the winds and the waves and made them boisterous, the word of God says. And then Peter became afraid. He took his eyes off of the word, which is Jesus, and began to look at his circumstances. And when he looked at his circumstances, fear came into his heart, and faith began to go out, so he began to sink. And he cried out to the Lord. He said, Lord, save me. And the Lord went over and reached down and picked him up and said, Peter, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Now then, right there, I realized from that position and many other positions in God's Word, he is a faith God, and he demands that I believe his Word with no doubt in my heart. And so when Peter doubted his Word, he sunk into the water. So if Peter didn't doubt... Many other times Peter didn't doubt, and he saw the Lord do great and mighty things. 
So I knew by this time our God is a faith. Wait, wait a second. One of these babies was 95% brain dead, not expected to live through the night. And you had the nerve to tell the parents their baby would live, and the next day the baby went home normal. Well, yeah, that was that was another case uh, a couple of days later. But, you know, mine was even more than 95% brain dead. You know, mine, her brain was totally disconnected. And What do you mean disconnected? Well, the stem. Dr. Marks told me on Caitlin, he said whenever they'd done the MRI, uh, they saw that her brain had come forward in the impact whenever her little seat belt was cut and she hit the seat in front of her at 140 mile an hour closure. Whoa, 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 we're out of time. We'll pick up right here on tomorrow's broadcast. I'm really got an SOS going out this week. We have started two clubs. One is new, and the other we've had for a while. One is the Mishpacha, that's a Hebrew word for family, and the other is the Chalitzim, that's a Hebrew word for pioneers. And God gave me a witnessing tool for our Chalitzim, uh, which is a replica of the Temple Menorah, which is the uh, currently the emblem of the state of Israel. Uh, it, it's a replica of that, and it's sterling silver with tarnish-free rhodium finish. I wear it around my neck. It's got uh, seven genuine Swarovski crystals, which uh, these crystals reflect like the light uh, of the seven uh, candles. And the middle candle uh, is a uh, genuine crystal that is ruby in color, uh, and that reflects Yeshua, the Messiah. I don't have time to go into it. I want to send you a brochure on our new clubs. Very, very important. Now, in yesterday's broadcast, we found out on October 13, 2001, tragedy uh, struck Thurman Scrivener. His wife died. His daughter died. They were in a head-on collision. Two little girls in the car, the granddaughter and her friend. Uh, they were in critical, critical condition. They... Uh, uh, they, they weren't expected to even survive. He gets to the hospital. The social worker prepares him for what he's about ready to see. He goes into the hospital room uh, and take it from there. Yes, uh, whenever I walked in and the social worker told me uh, that uh, my granddaughter was not just critical, she was super, super critical. In fact, uh, a few minutes after I got in there, I walked in and told uh, well, the first thing I did after I told the young lady that the girls would live, and I had no doubt in my heart that they would live. But At the time you said that the girls would live, and that was strictly by the Word of God, not not uh, an audible voice, or, or but just knowing and knowing the healing and the atonement, uh, did you know that your granddaughter was worse than brain dead? No, I didn't. I really didn't know. I hadn't. Uh, nobody had told me. They just said they were critical. I hadn't seen her. Could you have said that if you really knew how bad off she was? Oh yes, uh, I, I knew at this time. I knew the requirements. I knew the Word of God. I've hidden it in my heart. I mean, for the last thirty years, I have studied the Word of God and hidden. I don't even know how many hundred scriptures I have hidden in my heart, but uh, many of them, and the ones I've hidden in my heart, are ones that are powerful ones. Uh, ones that will, you know, in fact, uh, I, I quoted John fifteen seven to the young lady uh, there. I told her, I said, ma'am, uh, God gave me a promise. I'm just going to quote you one. I've just got 
one little girl here, and so with this one little girl, my granddaughter, uh, I only need one verse. And I said, for the other little girl, I'm going to quote another verse. But I said, in John 15:7, the Lord says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. Now, that's a promise in God's Word. Now, it has some requirements. It says, if you abide in me, and, and my words abide in you. So there's a requirement that the king made. And if I have did that, if I've hidden the Word of God in my heart, and I stay in him, in other words, I wake up every morning worshiping the king. I wake up praising him. Uh, I, I may just get up in the morning, and, or may just wake up at 5 o'clock or 6 o'clock, and, or sometimes I wake up at four and I just throw my hands up in the air and just worship and praise the king and begin to quote his word to him and tell him how much I love him and praise him and thank him for the word of God. And, of course, I have studied it and hid it in my heart. And so since I've studied it and hid it in my heart, since he's in me and his words are in me, therefore I could quote this verse. And I walked in and I told the young lady, I said, since the king says I can ask him whatever I desire, or whatever I will, and he will do it for me, and since he's a God that can't lie, then I'm going to ask him to completely restore my grandbaby as good or better than she was before. And I said, I don't know what she looks like. It doesn't make any difference to me. But I said, he will do it because he can do exceedingly abundantly above all I could even think or imagine. Now, what did the two girls look like when you got in? Well, when I walked in, my grandbaby was unrecognizable. When I walked in... Uh, first of all, little Kelly, her little friend, which had been raised up in our home, six years old at the time, the front of her head had exploded, and right above her eyebrows, from there back almost to the third of the way up on the top of her head, her head was busted open, and her, it was her scar, uh, uh, hair and everything was all pulled back, way back up on top of her head. Her head, in other words, busted open in the front, and uh, both of her pelvics, were completely broken. Her seatbelt had helped, but it, the impact was so great when she come forward and her head exploded that it broke both of her pelvics. Mm. My granddaughter, uh, her seatbelt didn't hold. Uh, it had been cut by a piece of steel and it turned her loose and slammed her into the seat in front of her and she hit face and chest first and with, of course, her knees went into the seat and that's when I looked down and see her face and that she was unrecognizable. Uh, I just knew there was a, a a little girl laying there, but she looked awful. But I didn't go by what I saw at all. I only went by what was written in God's Word, knowing that the King spoke the world into existence and knowing that he made man from the dust of the earth. I knew he could restore this little girl with no problem if I just believed his Word with no doubt in my heart. All right, tell me what was wrong with her brain. Well... First of all, the doctor told me when I come in there, he's, when he came in, he said, Sir, you see the pressure on her brain? And I said, Well, I see that instrument there. He said, The pressure is 20. And he said, That's not critical. That's critical, critical. He said, she'll, She will decease any moment. I said, Oh, no, she won't die. I said, She'll live and declare the glory of God. And he said, Sir, that's impossible. I said, What do you mean? He said, Well, in the impact, her brain... Whenever her face hit the seat, her brain came forward, and it hit in the front of her skull. And when the two cars bounced back, the brain came back with such an impact, it disconnected her brain from her brain stem and her eyes. He said, everything's tore loose in her head. Said, so we've done an MRI, and there's nothing connected. 
He said, it's impossible for her to live. I said, oh, no, she will live. I guarantee you she will run and play again because the king made me promises in his word, and I will not doubt my king. And that's where we were. And, of course, he just looked at me strange and kind of walked off. So I, of course, quoted John sixteen twenty three and 24 for little Kelly. And then I just stood between the two girls and just worshiped and praised the Lord. Uh, I don't know, four, five, or six hours later, several hours later, the social worker came back through, and she had been standing over there a lot of the time. And she said, Sir, I will never forget you or this day as long as I live. And I said, Why is that, young lady? And she said, Because I have never seen a man walk into a room with two little girls after losing his wife and daughter and walk in and begin to quote God's word and just stand here for the next many hours and just worship and praise the Lord. She said, I've never seen a human being do that. And I said, Man, you're going to see the greatest miracle you've ever seen because I've done this. And, of course, she did. Well, let's take your granddaughter's little girlfriend. Um, Kelly. What happened to her, bottom line, uh, as far as... Well, Kelly, uh, her mother and dad, of course, uh, had authority over her. I didn't, and so they uh, did uh, let the doctors do some things to her. Uh, they let them pull her scalp back down and then sew it all back up and uh, clean it out if there were was tore up so bad. And uh, then, of course, I had prayed, and I told them, I said, don't worry. I said, she will be fine. I can guarantee you because I'm standing on God's word for her, too. And so within a week, uh, little Kelly was out of ICU in a one week and upstairs in a room in Cook's Medical Center in Fort Worth recovering. And in one more week, she was out of the hospital and in church that Sunday with her mother and dad walking with a walker, and the doctors were amazed that she could stand up in two weeks. I mean, she had broken pelvics. How did she? How did she stand? Well, that's what the doctors didn't understand. They couldn't understand. But you guaranteed it, of course, based on the promises of God's word. Yes, and I told them they would see a supernatural miracle. Uh, see, the Lord made us a statement. Also, He said, "Whatever you say with your mouth, if you believe it with your heart, it will come to pass." That steps you into the realm of faith that's beyond where I lived most of my life. But I have now stepped into that realm, Sid, and it brings forth great and awesome miracles. In, in your opinion, uh, with those two little children you prayed for, well, at least two uh, in the hospital that were healed, one 95% brain dead, <laughs> healed the next day, uh, would your granddaughter be alive today if you had uh, been double-minded in your faith? Absolutely not. The Word of God clearly says in James chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, that any time you ask for anything, you must ask in complete faith, no doubting, nothing wavering. He says, if you waver on my promises, he said, you're double-minded and unstable in all your ways. And he says, let not that man think he shall receive anything from the Lord. So I knew those promises, and I knew I had to not waver. I knew every word that came out of my mouth had to be a word of confirmation that the word of God could not fail me under no condition. Did you waver at all? No, not at all. Uh, did you have thought? Did you have opportunity to waver? Oh, the enemy, <laughs> the enemy would always put those thoughts in your mind. You can't stop him from doing that. You know, whenever you walk in and look at the little uh, children laying there, the very first thought that comes to your mind 
oh, this one's impossible. Uh, uh, hold that thought. We're out of time. On October 13, 2001, Thurman was told by a state trooper that his wife and his daughter were killed in a head-on auto collision, uh, and his granddaughter and her little friend were holding on uh, for dear life, but they weren't going to survive. He gets to the hospital. The social worker prepares him. He goes in, and he just worships God at their bedside uh, literally all night long. And the social worker said, I've never seen a man that's just lost his wife, just lost his daughter, about ready to lose his granddaughter, worship God and not curse God all night. Uh, and I have to ask you, why did you not curse God? Your wife died. Your your daughter died. Your granddaughter looks uh, like, I mean, she's going to be a vegetable if she survives. Her, her brain is disconnected. Her face is all scarred up. Uh, bones broken. Internal injuries. I mean, she's in a coma. Uh, why didn't you do what Job's wife said? Well, for the same reason that Job uh, didn't do uh, that either, uh, Job worshipped the Lord. In fact, I remembered that story very clearly the very second that Faith Trooper told me that, uh, and I noticed that Job, I remembered that Job worshipped the Lord. And the thing about it is, from that story in the book of Job, I learned that God is not the author of death and destruction. It was the devil. So if there's anyone I'm going to hate, and I do hate evil, I hate the devil because he's the one that was the instigator behind this. He was the one that was behind it in Job's case. Whenever he got authority from God to come to the earth and to do devastating things, he was the one that killed Job's children. He was the one that burned up his crops and stole all of his animals and destroyed all of his helpers. It was not God. The Word of God says that the Lord come to give us life and give it to us abundantly. So death and destruction never comes from God our Father because James 1.17 says all good and perfect gifts comes from the Father. But in John 10.10, 10, the Word of God says the thief, which is Satan, come to kill, steal, and to destroy. But the Lord Jesus comes to give us life and give it to us more abundantly. So I knew who I could get angry with, and it was only the devil. I, I, I got that loud and clear. Now, there were two little girls in that head-on collision, one your granddaughter, the other her, her little friend. Uh, what happened to her friend, Kelly, uh, who had the broken uh, pelvics? And uh, just for those that uh, weren't listening, listening, would you uh, refresh her memory on okay, that? Okay, well, little Kelly with two broken pelvics and a crushed forehead, they sewed up her forehead, and, of course, as I quoted John uh, 16, 23, and 24 over her. Now, this is an awesome promise, and it says, In that day, which is today, you shall ask me nothing, Jesus is saying. He said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Before now have you asked nothing in my name, but he says, Ask, and you shall receive, that your joy may be full. Now, my joy is going to be full whenever I see these little girls out running. So I'm quoting God's word, calling him into remembrance of his promises and praising him and worshiping him. And little Kelly, out of ICU with a busted forehead and two crushed pelvics, out of ICU in one week, out of the hospital in two weeks, back in church that Sunday at the end of the two weeks, walking with a walker. But by Wednesday, two and a half weeks later, she's back in school running and playing with no walker. 
and her doctor is absolutely, and he's a Christian doctor. He's absolutely beyond anything he's ever seen. He said, I have never seen a child run in play with two crushed pelvics short of 10 to 12 weeks. He said, this little girl got a miracle from God. And that's what happened to little Kelly. Praise God. But now let's take a look at your granddaughter, Caitlin. Uh, Nine days after the accident, uh, she's not moving. That's right. Take it from there. Well, uh, that second Monday, which is about nine days uh, later, uh, we had a meeting with Dr. Marks, which is head of neurology at Cook's Medical Center in uh, Fort Worth, and uh, and several other doctors and, and people. I don't know how many there were, but... They called us into a meeting to tell us that they wanted to pull the breathing tube out of Caitlin that week. And he said, when we pull the tube out of her, he said, she will die. And I told him, no, sir, she won't die. He said, sir, it's impossible for her to live. He said, I have done two MRIs on this little girl, and there's nothing attached to her brain. When he said nothing, I said, how about her eyes? He said, her eyes are disconnected also. So she was blind? I said, I said, is there anything wrong with her eyes? He said, well, as far as we can tell, her eyes... Or okay, but it said it's like having two video cameras not connected to the recorder. Mm. And he said there's no surgery in the world can connect her brain back to her eyes or her brain stem. And I said, sir, are you a Christian? He said, no, I'm a Jew. I said, well, very good. I said, my Jesus was a Jew. And I said, he was the greatest physician in the universe. And I said, sir, you're going to get to see a Jewish physician do the greatest work you have ever seen in your life. He will raise these little girls up. He will restore my grandbaby. I guarantee you. And he said, well, I only hope you're right. He said, but I don't think there's one chance in a trillion. I said, sir, that's the difference between you and I. You hope, which is always future tense, and it never brings a king on the scene. But I said, I have total faith and trust in his word, which always brings a king on the scene. He said, well, we'll pull the tubes. Uh, in a few days. He said, we'll decide exactly which day. But he said, well, this is not a chance for her to live. And that was the end of the meeting. We walked out. Well, we come Thursday. That was on Monday morning. Thursday, they had told me, said, Thursday we're going to pull the tubes. And so I was in the room. Of course, I stayed there almost night and day, speaking the word of God over her and praising the Lord. But uh, Thursday morning, Dr. Davis, which is uh, a fine Christian woman, uh, she walked in and told me, she said, Sir, you are the only man I have ever seen in my life that refuses to accept reality. I said, Ma'am, you think my little granddaughter there is reality, don't you? She said, Of course. I said, No, ma'am. I said, The Word of God is the only true reality in the world. And I said, It will make my grandbaby run and play again. I said, It can't fail because I'm standing on God's promises. She says, sir, you know sometimes God says no to his promises. I said, ma'am, do you have a verse to prove that? She said, well, no, I don't. I said, well, ma'am, I have a verse in First Corinthians uh, chapter, or Second Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, that says no matter how many promises the Lord made me in his word, the answer to every one of those promises are yes every time. I said, so it can't fail. I said, by this time the room was filling up with other doctors and nurses and they were all gathered there, and I said, Now, I want you all to see the glory of God, and I want you to understand what's going to happen. I said, And let me quote John fifteen seven to you one more time, and I did. And I said, Now then, on that promise, 
I want y'all to go ahead and pull the, all the equipment and tubes away from Caitlin, and I'm going to guarantee you, on the word of the living God, she's going to breathe over the machine on her own, and she's going to cough. And I know y'all all told me that's impossible, but I said, you see the glory of God. I backed up and I said, pull the tubes and see the glory. God's word. But this is your granddaughter. What did they say would happen when they pulled the breathing tubes? They said she would just die. And they said she'd stop breathing and she'd be dead in a few moments. There was nothing connected to her brain to tell her lungs to breathe. Nothing connected to tell her to move or anything. So Dr. Mark said it's impossible according to the MRIs. Everything was disconnected in the brain. So he said it's impossible for her to live. So they pulled the tube out, and what happened? She breathed two points over the machine and started coughing. Now, what the coughing uh, was dangerous, wasn't it? No, that was a necessary thing. Uh, the Dr. Mark said that if her lungs would operate at all, and he said there was a tiny little chance they might, but he said they wouldn't be able to sustain life, but they might pump just a little bit of air. He said it would be impossible for her to cough, and the coughing was absolutely a necessity because if oh. you can't cough, the lungs would fill up with fluid, and she would die with pneumonia in a few days anyway. So when she coughed, you must have uh, jumped up and shouted hallelujah. No, I just knew it was going to happen. You knew it? I knew it was going to happen. I, didn't, I just backed up and told them to see the glory of God. Then after they took her off of the breathing machine, uh, uh, there were other problems. What happened next? Well, after they took her off the breathing machine and she started breathing on normal and, and coughing, which the, the, the doctor stood around and watched her for about an hour, and they continued to say, it's impossible. This is impossible. And I told them, I said, gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, this is to confirm again what Acts 13.41 says. The Lord says, and in these last days I shall do such great and mighty miracles among you that even though you see it, you still will not believe it. And I said, this is one of those miracles that he's doing. I said, y'all are Christians. You need to get to where you believe what God is doing, that nothing is impossible with our king. And so anyway, we sat there and watched her breathe, and I worshiped and praised the Lord, and then a doctor came in a little later and he said, you know, if I had a thought this little girl would have lived, I would have done surgery on her right knee the first day. He said, her right knee is crushed, that her left leg is broken in two places, and said, I didn't do any surgery because I knew she wasn't going to live. But he said, it appears she may make it. And he said, I don't know how, but he said, I really need to go into her right now, especially on that right knee, and put pins and screws in her right knee because it's all crushed and she'll never walk unless you do that. I told him, no, sir, you will not put a knife on my baby. Why? Because I wanted Jesus to get all the glory for healing this little girl. See, I believe that if you... Now, this is my own place where I'm at in my faith. Now, everybody has to get there themselves. I believe if you have the Word hidden in your heart and you've walked in obedience to God's Word, that his word cannot fail you. 
I know a lot of people say they're going to try God's Word, but you don't never try God's Word. You either do it or it don't work. You have to know it or it don't work. You have to walk in obedience to it or it don't work. It only works if you meet all the requirements, and there's a lot of them. So anyway, I told this gentleman, no, you would not be allowed to put a knife on my grandbaby. I said, my God is going to get all the credit for this entire miracle as he raises her up. I said, he said, sir, you don't understand. This little girl will never walk if I don't do surgery on her knee. I said, no, sir, you don't understand the Jesus I serve. He made me promises in his word, and I have learned to trust him 100%. I said, now then, you will see the glory of God as she runs in place on this knee with no surgery and the left leg with no surgery. And he just couldn't believe I would do such a thing. But I told him I'm standing on God's word, and I would not let him put a knife on her. And so we continued to let the Lord take care of the miracle. So the days goes by. A total of a month goes by from the time of the accident, and at the end of a month, she was strong enough. She was moving a little bit. In fact, I didn't tell you that in two weeks, every day, many times a day, we quoted to our king his word in John 14, 13, and 14, where he truly said we could ask the Father in his name, the name of Jesus, anything we wanted to, and he would do it. And I quoted those two verses in John 14, 13, and 14 to the king many times a day, and my son did, and my son-in-law did, and we worshiped and praised the king for restoring her little crushed face. And in two weeks from the date of the accident, in two, well, actually two weeks and two, uh, one day, it was the second, it was Sunday, so two weeks and one day, when I left there Sunday night, she had one little tiny red mark left over one eye, and the next Monday morning, about 5 or 6 o'clock, whenever it was, when I came back to the hospital, her little face, you couldn't tell, it had ever been injured. But but that's uh, that's as miraculous as everything else you've been saying. Yeah, her face was beautiful. In fact, uh, one of the ladies that goes to uh, the Baptist church where we go here in Justin, she had sat with Caitlin the, on the Wednesday, the first Wednesday, when we had the funeral for my wife and daughter, and, of course, she was sitting there seeing Caitlin's little face, saw how it was all tore up and so bloody and red and bleeding out her eyes, nose, mouth, and ears and everything. And she came back Monday afternoon, and when that woman and her husband, when they walked into that room of ICU, and she looked down and saw Caitlin, that woman screamed, and I mean she and I had church for 45 minutes in that room. We worshiped and praised the Lord. We cried together because... I mean, I guess that's the first time I had cried in this entire thing. What happened to um, Caitlin's knee? Well, the knee fully recovered. I mean, the Lord healed that thing. I mean, there was not a sign of a mark on that knee. It's fully, completely come back together. All the little bones went back in place in there, and they're all back together and perfect, and she runs and plays on the knee perfectly normal. How about the broken leg? No problem. Not a problem. The Lord set both of the brakes. One was right below the left uh, uh, knee and the other right above the ankle. And the Lord put both of them back together. And you can't tell she's ever had a broken leg or a crushed knee. 
and she's running and playing and back in school with those today. Okay, you you were able to get her out of the hospital, but she was blind. Yeah. Uh, even though um, God performed a miracle on the knee, they she still needed a wheelchair. She, uh, they said she'd never really walk again, uh, and she couldn't eat on her own. She had to have uh, eating eat through a tube. Uh, so you took her home in this condition. Uh, was your heart heavy because of that, or where were you at? I was just realizing that I still had to stay in obedience to God's Word and continue to call him into remembrance of his promises so he would continue this total restoration of my granddaughter. I had seen him do such a great and mighty work up to this time. Now, I know our king could have just reached down and touched her and completely healed her in a second, but he didn't. Why didn't he? Well, he wanted many people to see her and to see all these stages because if people saw her and begin to come to the hospital and see the condition she was in, and then as they begin to see these mighty miracles, they, they knew that they were seeing our king do the greatest work that anybody in this area had ever seen. Now you were going to, uh, they wanted you to take her home out of the, the hospital in a wheelchair, and you refused. Why? Well, I didn't want to show any unbelief on my part. So I would not set her in a wheelchair, absolutely refused to set her in a wheelchair. They made me take one home, and I said, well, if you make me take it, I'll put it in the back of the car, we'll take it home, I'll set it out on the porch, but I guarantee she'll never sit in it. They said, that's okay, we'll make a special one, a motorized one, so she can run around in it, drive around in it. But it appears she is going to be able to move her arms and legs a little, but she'll never be able to walk, so we'll just make a wheelchair custom fitter. I said, don't bother, you won't need it. But they went ahead and started on it. Uh, was the brain disconnect part of the reason that she wouldn't be able to walk? Yes, that's what they said. Uh, they didn't understand how she was living, but she was <laughs> able to move just a little at this point. Not very much. When we went home, after four weeks in ICU, with no surgeries or nothing, she was moving a little, uh, not much, but she couldn't set up or couldn't stand on her own. So we brought her home, and we, of course, like you say, we couldn't feed her. Her little valve in her throat was not working at this point. The doctor said they checked it and said we couldn't feed her. We'd have to continue to feed her through a, a tube like they had been doing. They had to put a little tube in her tummy, and they pumped a liquid uh, food into her tummy. And so we brought her home. I began to take the name of Jesus and set her up in the bed and command her little body to be strong so it could set up on its own in the name of Jesus. Because the Lord told me, if I ask anything in his name, he will do it. So I believed him. And so I would do that and I would turn her loose and she'd fall back over. Well, I'd continue to set her up and, and hold her up and command her body to be strong in the name of Jesus. I do that several times a day until she got to where after a few days she could set up on her own. And then I'd take her out of the bed and stand her beside the bed and do the same thing, command her legs to be strong where she could stand. And I'd turn her loose and she'd fall down. And I'd pick her back up and we'd do it over and over, just like you were teaching your baby to walk whenever you first started. Hmm. And then I would do that when she got to where she could stand after a few days. I did it for walking until she could take little steps. And now then she's walking slowly, but she's totally blind. Her eyes were disconnected. She can't see a thing. I quoted the scripture over her and over her and over her, and still she could not see. My son came in one night and she... No, hold that thought. 
what happened in reference to her eyesight? Well, I had spoken over her body with the name of Jesus until I finally got her body strong where she could sit up and where she could stand and where she could walk. It took several days of speaking the name of Jesus over her. And I did everything I knew to do. I prayed every prayer, spoke everything I could do over her eyes, and she was still totally blind. So my son and I and my granddaughter were playing on the stairs one day where she's walking up and down the stairs but holding my hand because she can't see. We get down at the bottom of the stairs, and my son says, Daddy, I can only imagine when I close my eyes what it would have to be like to go through life without being able to see. He said, Daddy, I don't, understand. I don't know what we're going to do. I said, Son, I'm going to guarantee you Caitlin's going to see again because God made us the promises in his word. I don't know why I haven't been able to get them open yet, but I said, It's going to happen. So I began to seek the Lord, and finally I thought, Lord, I think I know what the problem is. You want many other people to see or be a part of this testimony also. So at the First Baptist Church in Justin, we didn't have a pastor. We were had an interim pastor. Our pastor had left a few months before, and we hadn't got a new one yet. So we had just built a brand-new building, and we had moved into it on January the 6th of 2002. This is just in Texas. Go ahead. Texas, just, or just north of Fort Worth. So I, that morning, I told the uh, youth leader, I said, I want to call the church to pray today at 2 o'clock Anybody that believes that God will open Caitlin's eyes, I want them to come and be a part of this prayer meeting. Well, that afternoon, uh, that morning at the service, there was about 400 people there. But that afternoon, after we made the announcement that we would like people to come and pray, but I only wanted people of faith to come, people that believed God was going to do what he promised in his word. We had about 30 people from the church show up. That was a pretty good number. I was well pleased. 30 people of faith. And the reason I made that statement is every time I read in the Word, Jesus always put out the unbelievers, those that didn't believe he could do what he said he would do because unbelief is what keeps God's power from flowing. So we had about 30 people show up, and then I brought 8 or 10 from other churches that I had new friends of mine uh, that I asked to come, and they came. And so at 2 p.m. on January the 6th, last year on 2002, we met in that brand-new sanctuary, and we prayed down on our faces, on our knees, for over two hours, walking as Caitlin walked in amongst us there, and a little blind girl. We quoted the word to him. I gave the people at least six of God's mighty promises you know, that would guarantee we could have what we asked for. And we quoted those promises to the king, and we thanked him for those promises, and we thanked him for opening Caitlin's little eyes. After two hours, we finally go home. Nothing happened. Well, I just told everybody, I said, continue to worship and praise the Lord, and he will open her eyes. Well, about three weeks later, she and I was playing upstairs. She was sitting there on the floor with me, and I was playing with the little donut stand, my little plastic donut things, and she put them on this little uh, thing. And I took one off, and I dropped it. And when I dropped it, it rolled off to the side, and she reached right over there and got it. And I thought, how did you do that? 
And so I picked it up and I said, Caitlin, honey, I'm, Granddaddy's going to get the little red donut and I'm going to bring it over here. I'm going to lay it down somewhere else. Would you get it for me? And I quietly moved it to a place where she couldn't hear anything and I laid it down and she reached right over there and got that red donut and put it. And I moved the stand to a new place and I said, put it back on there. And she put it right on there. And that's the first time I knew she could see. Now that's when Dan's granddaddy got excited. Just me and her upstairs. I almost jumped up and done cartwheels. I was drinking mm. and praising and worshiping the king. Okay, but she's still eating through a tube. She can't yeah. eat food. Yeah, and I quote, every time, when we left the hospital, the doctor told us, he said, now, whatever you do, don't feed her a thing by mouth, because if you do, anything, food or drink, will run directly into her lungs and it'll kill her. And so he said, until this valve works, you must feed her this way. Well, I listened to the doctor. This was the only case I listened to the doctor, and we fed her that way for 10 months. Every two months, we'd take her back for a check, but every time... When I'd come home, I'd quote Mark 11, 23 and 24, two awesome promises, and I'd ask the Lord to fix that valve, and I'd thank him and praise him for it. But at every two months, the valve would not work. Even up to 10 months, the valve still is not working. After the 10th month, I come home, and I said, Lord, I have missed it somewhere. I have either sinned, I've done something. You said you don't hear the prayer of a sinner. He said, if you hide iniquity in your heart, in Psalm 66, 18, you don't hear my prayer. So I said, Lord, I have to believe you with no doubt. I said, Lord, what did I do wrong? I know it's got to be me and not you. So I went back and I opened my Bible and I read Mark 11, 24, one more time. And he says, whatever you desire. And I stopped right there at that comma and I said, Lord, I desire that my grandbaby's vow work in her throat. He says, when you pray believe you have received it and you shall have it and this time i looked at it i said lord forgive me i have been you so be in romans fourteen twenty three. anything i do that's not a faith is sin so lord i didn't believe your word you told me when i prayed believe i've received it and it shall be mine i had not believed it i kept believing the doctor waiting for him to confirm the vow was working so i didn't really trust you i said lord forgive me I said, now I know I'm restored to righteousness. So I asked him again, and I quoted his promise to him. I thanked him for fixing the vow. I walked over to her house. I told her daddy, I said, Toby, God's waiting on you and me. I said, I've prayed, and I've worshipped him. I said, now then, the vow is fixed. I guarantee it. I said, give her something to eat and a bottle of drink. Now, you only guaranteed it on the written promise in the integrity of the Word of God, yes. correct? That's exactly right. Now, and according to the doctors, what could happen to her if you fed her She'd through the mouth? She would die. Mm. So what happened? So Toby, he was startled. He said, Thurman, the doctor said, I said, Toby, but we haven't got anything by waiting on the doctor. So I said, have I been wrong on anything else? And he said, no. I said, then trust God and feed her and give her something to drink. So he set her down there at the table, fixed her a little bowl of applesauce, and gave her a little bottle of juice and said, here, honey, eat and drink. And she took a spoon and started eating. And she ate the whole bowl of applesauce. And then she drank that little bottle of juice. And she got down and ran and played. And she's been running and playing ever since. We took her back. It's six weeks. We fed her normal every day for six weeks. So that 12 months, we had to take her back for a check anyway. So for the next six weeks, we fed her normal. 
And at the 12th month, we took her back. The doctor checked, and he said, I can't believe this. I never thought for a minute that valve would ever work. It didn't work for 10 months. But he said, it's working fine now. He said, you can take her home and start feeding her. I said, sir, we've already started feeding her six weeks ago. <laughs> he said, you could have killed her. I said, no, I had to trust God, even unto death. And he honored his word. And, and I, I caught she's, she was running and playing uh, all on those uh, that knee and that leg that wasn't set properly, the crushed right knee and the leg that was broken and the, uh, and the brain disconnect. I mean, this is... This is an outrageous miracle. Yes, it is. And, of course, the doctors, they've done an EEG on the brain, and it's perfectly normal. Everything is connected just exactly like it's supposed to be. Her EEG was perfect due to their instrumentation. Hmm. God is an awesome God. He is. This is the Shabbat broadcast. I want to bless you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause his countenance to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord grant you his shalom. In the name of the Sar Shalom, the Prince of Peace, Yeshua HaMashiach Tzikinu, Jesus the Messiah, our righteousness. Daniel, the Jewish prophet, tells us, when you die, you do not cease to exist. Your spirit goes somewhere forever based on your actions in this life. Once you die, it's too late to change. Your fate is sealed. Daniel says we go either to everlasting life or everlasting condemnation. Since you don't know when your end will come, this is the most critical decision of your life. All have sinned, and the penalty for sin, even one, is everlasting condemnation. But God provided a provision for forgiveness of sin, a substitute to pay your penalty. A perfect person must give his life up for you. Then your life would be spared. This perfect one is the Messiah. The Jewish prophets tell us how to recognize him. He would be born in Bethlehem of the ancestry of King David. He would die before the second temple was destroyed, and the second temple was destroyed in the year 70 A.D. He would rise from the dead, and by his wounds, Isaiah 53 tells us, we would be forgiven. Only Yeshua, Hebrew for Jesus, fulfilled these and 300 other requirements. God has already sent the Messiah to redeem you. If you say this prayer out loud with me, and believe it to the best of your ability, you'll be forgiven for all of your sins. The Messiah will live inside of you, and you will know God. You see, if you don't know God before you die, what makes you so sure you'll know God after you die? Repeat this prayer with me. Believe it to the best of your ability. Dear God, I have sinned, and I'm sorry. With your help, I turn from my sins. Please forgive me in Yeshua's name. I believe that Yeshua died, rose from the dead, and is at the right hand of God. Now that I am clean, 
I make Yeshua my Lord and ask him to live inside of me. Amen. If you would like to correspond, receive our teaching newsletter, or a cassette catalog, write to me, Sid Roth, Post Office Box 1918, Brunswick, Georgia, 31521. Our telephone number is area code 912-265-2500. Yivarecha <laughs> to receive a complimentary copy of our bi-monthly teaching newsletter, materials catalog, or information about becoming Mishpacha, write to me, Sid Roth, Post Office Box 1918, Brunswick, Georgia, 31521, or call our order-only line, 1-800-548-1918. To place a credit card order, call anytime the same number, 1-800-548-1918. 1918. For all other calls, the number is 912-265-2500. That's 912-265-2500. For a cassette tape of this week's broadcast, send $5 to Sid Roth, Post Office Box 1918, Brunswick, Georgia, 31521. To see our television show, It's Supernatural, and to listen to our past radio programs, look us up on the web at www.sidroth.org. That's www.sidroth.org.